So tonight, uh, I want to segue off of last week and our discussion of wisdom. Um, there was a brief discussion of, you know, how do you define wisdom? Like in our in our world today, we think of practical wisdom, that's skillful living. We think of insights from God as divine wisdom. But in, the, in, in Jesus' day and in Israel, up until probably recently, there was no difference. Everything comes from God. So if you happen to be building a house and you can build it better, well, it's because God gave you the gifts to build it and the insight to build the house better. So today we kind of separate those as I have my day job, but I go to church on Sunday as two different things. All right, so we'll talk a little bit about the wisdom and then look at if we can look deeper into that, those Ten Commandments, do they tell us something that we haven't quite seen before? And, of course, the answer is probably yes, or we wouldn't be here tonight. So this picture, the painting in the background, Jean-Léon Jerome, and that's Moses on Mount Sinai, painted around 1900. I saw one website said 1900, another one said 1895 to 1900. So that's Moses on Mount Sinai. I'm not sure what's going on with the uh, laser light show coming out of Moses' head. Moses is often depicted as having, like, it looks like horns coming out, but it's like the, it's like the light of insight as Moses is having his mystical experience meeting with God. So that'll be our background as we talk about the Ten Commandments that Moses is going to receive. So this is part 20. Uh, good time to take a break on an even number, and it's summer, first day of summer, and 20 is a multiple of 10, so it all makes sense somehow, but Exodus the, part 20, and the wisdom of the Ten Commandments, emphasis on wisdom. So as we go into this little review here, we want to remember that we're looking for insights. I didn't put this on your sheet, but to start out with just a brief review of last week and a definition of wisdom. So divine wisdom. In the Bible, divine wisdom in the ancient times was always thought of as a gift from God. That's one. It's delivered from God. It's information from God. And the information comes as, and this is an important word, insight. So it's an insight. What's insight? Well, it's inner sight. The light bulb in somebody's head goes off. Ah, God gave me insight into why this is so important. God gave me insight into the nature of reality. And what I mean by that is God created the cosmos, but we don't always understand his creation, how it functions. So one thing would be an insight to the nature of reality is that this lifetime continues on even after your body passes. That's good insight to have. That means you start living wisely. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's when you recognize the reality of who God's is, uh, God is that you begin to have insight into the nature of things. So to say there's no resurrection is, well, it's terrible because there's an afterlife. And we, we have to live that way, as if you're, this life matters. Uh, insight into God's will, so that we understand, oh, I have a 
the new insight into how I live. When we can receive wisdom from God, it solidifies our faith. You can stand stronger in the times of testing because you've received that wisdom directly from God. Um, okay, so that's really important for us. And that's what we're going to be looking for today. Insight into the nature of how do we structure society. That's what we'll look at with the Ten Commandments. Now, wisdom always helps you manifest goodness through your actions. So it's very important because our Christian walk is about manifesting goodness in the world as we walk. And we do that through our actions. It has nothing to do with salvation at this moment. It's simply the Christian walk. And what's helpful is when we can get per the perspective, like the difference between a baby Christian and a mature Christian, is wisdom, insight. You've seen life repeated over and over, so you have your wise. And you're able to see actions from God's perspective. We're not lost in our own little bubble. So that's what we're going to look for today. As we look at the Ten Commandments, we want insight. How does God, how, how are the Ten Commandments going to help us understand something about the nature of reality? It's going to show up, and I'll, we'll talk about this, in the structure of the text. There's something that the way the Bible writers use structure in the Bible is to take you deeper, to see something that isn't on the surface. So, okay, that's our, that's our opening segment. Now, number one, um, one of the important things that we'll see, you guys have heard this repeatedly throughout your time at church, but the reminder that as Westerners, we're very much individuals and we're very individualistic. So when we read the Bible, it's all about me and mine and what, am I, what do I get out of it? And the Eastern mind, especially, I mean, even the East today, but the ancient Near East, it's all about community. So they read the Bible as a community rather than what's in it for me. So when we go to the Ten Commandments, we have to think about why does God give this structure of commandments to the Israelites to begin with? Because it's not just a list of rules that you got to follow abstractly. What's the goal? Well, let's start out with the word that uh, is used in the Bible. It's Torah. So the first little bullet point under number one, the Torah. Now, I put a footnote on your sheet about what Torah means, because we, don't, we miss this. We, it, we, are, we translate Torah as law, and so we think it's a bunch of rules. But Torah means to guide to instruct. God gives us an instruction manual. He's like the automobile manufacturer created a car, and then when they sell it to you, they put an instruction manual so that you know how to operate it at its highest uh, potential. Put this type of gas in, change the oil this, put you know, pressure in the, in the tires, all that stuff. That's what God did. He created us and then said, okay, look, uh, boy, if things aren't going well. You need an instruction manual to help you remember how the, you know, how the world operates. So the Torah is an instruction manual, and the Torah is given to the nation. Now, you can apply it, of course, to individuals because the, the nation is made up of individuals. It's at both levels, 
right? The individuals are part of that community, but the nation, as well as individuals, have uh, responsibilities towards God. And these books, the Torah, creates a covenant relationship between God as a king and Israel as the vassal. So one of the things the Torah helps us understand is how do we function as a society? Uh, as the Israelites are coming out of slavery, let me, post-slavery, they're a gaggle. They're a mob. They have no structure. They have no governance. And so God's going to have to put some things in place, and he does it through the use of covenant. God remains, God's their king, and now we're going to start div dividing things up so we can manage this gaggle of people. And so one of the structures that comes out of the Bible, you'll see prophet, priest, king. So right there, you see, can you imagine a government that might be divided into three branches, right? And you get something akin to prophet, priest, and king. And the most powerful person in that list is not the king. It's the prophet, because they're the ones that bring God, brings God's words. We think the king, because he's in charge. It's like, nope, just like, uh, you know, when a president says, hey, I'm going to sign an executive order, and a judge says, oh, no, you don't, because the judge brings the law and says, you can't do that. You've overstepped your bounds. So as we get to the Ten Commandments, it's more about societal than simply a list of rules for each individual. And I only, I referenced this, um, I referenced this verse. I'm just going to put it up on the screen. You guys are familiar with it. It's uh, Exodus 19.5. Oh, why don't you do this? Why don't you turn to Exodus 19.5, and then you'll have Exodus 20 open in your Bible, because we'll be at the Ten Commandments. But let's go to Exodus 19.5 and 6. Key verse, which Peter is going to reference. So Peter sees this as applying to uh, Christians as well. But Exodus 19, God has just brought them out. He says, I, you've seen how I carried you on eagle's wings. And then verse 5, now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, and I like the if statement, if you obey and keep my covenant, okay, well, what happens if we don't obey, right? There's, it's an if-then statement. Then, so if you obey, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So notice the language, kingdom, that's governance. Holy na a nation, that's governance. So it's more than just an uh, individual. And so kingdom and nation point to the community, but also you as an individual, you're a priest inside that community. You put God on display. How does the world know God is real and that Jesus is Lord? They look at you, the kingdom of priests, and you're supposed to be set apart, holy. That's how the world is going to know that I'm God. So that's Exodus 9-6. I just wanted to show you. He's creating a nation. It's a national charter that's coming forth, uh, the Torah, not just random list of rules. So, okay, let's go then. Uh, next one. So what's the Torah? Torah, Genesis, Exodus, 
Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. We call the books of Moses, leading up to the point where Joshua is going to take over and take them into the promised land. So, in that, you get all these commandments, yes? List of commandments. So many say do this, so many say don't do this. And you're going to get a summary of the commandments. Of all 613 commandments, there's going to be a summary. And the summarizing document we call the Ten Commandments. So this Ten Commandments, as, a, as we see them in the text, serve as like a summary for the entire um, constitution of the nation of Israel. So what I want you to think about tonight is as we come approach this in a way that you've probably not thought considered, is that it's going to talk about if there's going to be a structure to the Ten Commandments, it's going to be about society, because that's what God's doing. He's creating a nation. And so we're going to look at the commands and say, how does that inform us? How does that give us insight into the structure of how, do, how does a just and good and free society, how is it structured? So, and the whole point, if you remember, what's the last paragraph of Exodus is when they finally get their act together after the golden calf and they complete the tabernacle, the presence of God dwells intensely with the people. That's the goal. So we have to create a society just like you create a church where the presence of God can dwell with the people. So, okay, we don't often think of some as the Ten Commandments as a summary document, but good idea to think about it as a summary document. Okay, let me give you one quick reference. I forgot to put this on the sheet, and I apologize. Uh, I think many of you are familiar. Um, the late uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, he passed away in November of 2020. He was uh, the chief rabbi of Great Britain, and he has an just amazing commentaries, very accessible, and one of them is, of course, he does all five books of the Torah plus leadership and spirituality. And, but this one is Covenant and Conversation. It's Exodus. And he walks through the book of Exodus week by week. Each chapter is about four or five pages of very dense uh, material. So you have a whole week to digest it. But great stuff. And he is, so this is, I'm pulling information from Rabbi Sachs. Now, number two, let's get on the, with the task here. There's a debate. Now, if you can imagine, if you can imagine in religion, there's a debate. You've never heard of this, right? Everybody gets along perfectly. We have no disagreements whatsoever. But there's a debate about the, well, there's a number of debates about the Ten Commandments. And it's good to at least recognize them, but I need to show you, I'm not going to go into it. We're not, this isn't a class on the debates, but. I need to show you, because the way I listed the commandments, I listed the way that traditional Jewish listing of commandments, not the Protestant, not the Catholic. So um, the first thing is, should we call them Ten Commandments? Or should we call them the Ten Statements or the Ten Utterances or the Ten Words of God? And you might think, well, why would you even, why is this even a question? Well, what does the Bible call them? 
right? We call them the Ten Commandments, but is that what the Bible calls them? And the answer is no. The Torah does not call them commandments. The verse that we find the Ten Commandments, where it says the Ten Commandments, is Exodus 34, verse 28. Now, I'm going to do this fairly quickly. You can go check this out uh, when you have a chance, or if you want to turn there, turn to Exodus 4.28. I'm going to put up on your screen two different versions of this. One of them is a standard English version. Another one is from the Jewish Publication Society. So, the NIV, uh, Exodus 34, Moses had been up with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. He wasn't eating bread or drinking water. And then it says, and he wrote on the tablets the words of this covenant. Now, I'm going to pay attention to that word, words, of this covenant. And then in English, NIV says, he wrote down the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Okay? But what, did the Jew, what does the Jewish Bible, the, uh, the Tanakh say, the JPS, Jewish Publication Society? Well, Moses was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't, he didn't eat bread or drink water. And he wrote upon the tablets the word of the covenant, the ten words. And you think, ten words? Wait a minute, what happened to commandments? Well, the word there is the word for words or utterance or statement. It's, these two are the same words. The, sta- the, the word for commandment is not in there. So in Jewish thought, these are not necessarily Ten Commandments, but Ten Statements of God. That's where we get the Greek Decalogue. Deca, Ten, Log, Logos, Words. So in this particular case, the Ten Statements of God. And so you'll see, as we, uh, as when we flip to the back, number one I have on the back is the first commandment is a statement. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Not a commandment. And so I just want you to know, that's where we get that. Every commentary you read will, will on Exodus, the Ten Commandments, will talk about this, but it's the Ten Statements, the Ten Utterances of God. Okay? So that's one debate. What should we call it? The second one, then, is, hey, wait a minute. We know we have ten of these things, because the Bible calls them the Ten Words of God. How do we number them? So we have a, the Jews have their numbering system. The Catholics have their numbering system. The Protestants have their numbering system. And they don't agree. So make sure when you're talking to someone about the Ten Commandments, find out what their background is, and then just know that there's a difference. Not to get into it tonight, but there is a difference. Um, For instance, if you have your Bible open, look at Exodus 20, verse 2. So Exodus 20, verse 2, as I mentioned, that in the Jewish tradition is the first statement. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, we're not trained to think this way, but you read a sentence like that, the very first question we should all ask is, why did God have to say those words? Why did God just have to tell them, I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery? This isn't more than 45 days they've been in Egypt. It was 45 days ago. 
Why does God have to remind them that he brought them out of slavery? How quickly do we forget? And God says, I just brought you out of slavery, so don't forget. But how quickly life goes by when God does something for you, and a few days later, you've completely forgotten that God acted in, in our lives. So it's interesting that even right off the bat, God is reminding them, don't forget, 45 days ago, you were a slave, and now you're free. So we think, how could they forget that? Well, that's how we are too. So, okay. So what do we have? How, do, how are they numbered, right? So I have a little bit different numbering. The Ten Commandments or statements, that's the other debate. And then finally, the last debatable topic here is structure and why structure is important. So in the, in the Bible and in a lot of ancient writing, biblical writing often has an underlying structure to the Hebrew. Often it's difficult to see in the English. But in the Hebrew, you can definitely see a structure. It might be something with a word change, something poetic that rhymes, words that sound alike. Um, it might be sentence structure. One of the things that the uh, authors, when they wrote the Bible, will do is they'll have like five sentences or six sentences that all start the same grammatical structure. You get to the seventh one and everything's switched. And if you're listening to that or reading, it jumps out at you. So structure is important. When, when the author puts structure in something, he's driving you deeper into the text so that you'll see something that you don't see at the surface. And that's really key to know the structure. So what's the structure of the Ten Commandments? Typically, when I, you think of Ten Commandments, how, did, how do we divide them, right? Typically, we get something like this, because the Bible tells us there were two tablets, and there's ten commandments. Well, I'm a logical person. Two tablets, ten commandments, five on each one. So you get five on this side, because they're written in Hebrew, and five on this side. And even there's, there's even more on that of why you have two tablets. That gets into covenant making in the ancient world, but that's generally how we see it. And then we say, one of the fairly common explanations is, well, numbers one through five have to do with the relationship between God and man, and then numbers six through ten are relationships with man, as if God divided up God and man up here, and man, man to man, or humanity to humanity down here. And that's roughly correct, but you do get the one about the mother and father in there. So this is just how we typically divide up the structure. Now, this is the main thrust of what I'm about to get into. Is there possibly another structure to the Ten Commandments? And if there is another structure, can the structure point us to a deeper meaning of what the Ten Commandments are telling us? Okay? That's the main thrust. So, first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at two other structures, biblical or structures from the Bible other biblical structures. And I've got them on their sheet. So that's number three. And once you see the pattern, it's, it's very easy. Once you see it, if you don't know it's there, you probably just read past it. But the very first one is Genesis, the creation narrative in Genesis chapter one. There's seven days, yes? And the seven-day creation story is divided up three days, 
then three days, and then a final all-inclusive day number seven. Okay, so you get you get a you get a three-day period, a three-day period, and then the seventh is different. And here's how here's the way uh, th this is structured. So days one to three, what's happening in days one to three is God is separating domains. He's separating. It's all about separating. He divides day and night, or light and darkness, day one. Day two, he divides the waters that go up and the waters that go down. So he divides the waters. Then day three, he divides the water from the land so that you get dry land and the water are separated. Those are all, God is separating those domains. Then the next three, four, five, and six, what does God do? He fills each of those domains. So he says, okay, day four, sun and moon, and those are going to govern day and night. So those are connected. Next day, birds and fish. And day two and day five are connected. Then man or animals and humans. That's day six. And then day seven stands apart. It's an all-encompassing uh, day, or as, God, or as uh, Bonnie pointed out, God fills that day with his presence. So, but there's structure. Three, three, and one all-inclusive. Okay? That's, that's the key. Now, let's go to another one. Ten plagues. Is there a structure to the ten plagues? Yes, there is. And guess what? It's also based on threes. So you have three plagues, four, five, six plagues, seven, eight, nine plagues, and then a tenth, all-inclusive, not even really a plague, a punishment. Okay? Now, we didn't get into this when we looked in the plagues, but there's a pattern happening that repeats. Moses, go to Pharaoh in the morning. Give him a warning that something's coming. Then, the second plague, go to Pharaoh in his palace. Give him a warning. By the third plague, no warning whatsoever. Moses, raise your staff, and the next thing, something happens. So that's, day, or that's plagues one through three. Plagues four through six, you get a warning, warning, no warning. Plagues seven, eight, and nine, warning, warning, no warning. So you can see they're bunched together, and then you get the all-inclusive tenth day. So we have two times in the Bible, we have, we have a list, and they're divided into threes with an all-inclusive one at the end, whether it's day seven of creation or the tenth plague. So, here's the question, and this is what Rabbi Sachs is asking. Maybe we could take this pattern and go to the Ten Commandments. And perhaps, if we take this pattern to the Ten Commandments, that rather than a list of rules to follow, we get something that's governing, the, it summarizes the Torah. Okay? So, this is what we're going to do, and it's on the back. You can turn to the back of your sheet. But if we take this pattern of threes, one, two, three, then four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, with an all-inclusive ten, and we remember that this book that we're looking at, the Torah, and the Ten Commandments is a summary. So if the Torah provides guidance for your nation or society, then possibly the summary is providing 
guidance for the structure of society. Okay, so hang with me here. On the back, and this is what this is Rabbi Sachs's argument that the Ten Commandments give us a structure of society. How should how does if if human beings are going to exist fully with the presence of God here on earth, then we have to structure our society in a way where all of our potential can be realized and that is good and just and ordered and stable. And that's where the kingdom of God then the presence of God dwells. So, one through three, first three commandments, this is going to be the sovereignty of God, the importance in a society that God is the sovereign, the king. He is Lord. And the reason that's so important is every, everyone is accountable to the higher authority. In the ancient world, the king wasn't accountable to a higher authority. That's the Pharaoh story. No, 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 Pharaoh. You're not above judgment. All your actions will be judged. So, for a society to exist, politicians must know that there's a higher authority above them, that they will be called to account for their actions. Uh, Rabbi Sachs, he says, when, when God's in this position, it places moral limits on power. If there is no God, there are no moral limits on power. You do whatever you want, and there's no stopping you. So, what are the first three commandments? Well, I'm choosing the, the Jewish way. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. And then the explanation of that is, don't make one out of wood or gold or anything like that, um, that, that we normally treat that as a commandment. So one, I'm the Lord your God, have no other gods before me. And oh, by the way, even if you believe in me, don't misuse my name. Don't in the name of, this is where I think the church, you know, for some of our actions in the Middle Ages, in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Christian church, uh, if you don't go along with us, we kill you. And it's like, well, that's, I'm not sure if that's what Jesus meant by love your neighbors yourself, but, you know, maybe that's an interpretation. But this is the point. Even if you believe in God, don't misuse that name for your own power. So, one through three, sovereignty of God. If we don't have that, society can crumble quickly. Okay, let's go to the next ones. Four through six, then. And this is uh, Rabbi Sachs's words, the sanctity, or he uses createdness. I added the sanctity of createdness. We have to be thankful for the creation. God created us. Isn't that good? And yet people go through life. What's the point? And we're dejected and suffering and, uh, you know. So there's this, you have to have the sanctity of createdness. Celebrate creation that God created us. That this is a unique time that we have on this earth that it doesn't end in this life. But there's the celebration of creation. The sanctity of life. And, and I put this, I wrote it out a little bit more on your handout, despite the inherent suffering of being, right? We're all born limited and therefore we suffer that we call God, this creation good. Because if you can't do that, you'll get crushed and you'll be bitter 
and angry and vengeful and violent and all of that. So we recognize the goodness of creation. So what are the commandments? Well, remember the Sabbath. The Sabbath is all about celebrating creation. Aren't you excited that God created the world? Let's celebrate it by giving everybody a day off. Then there's honor your, your father and mother. That's this, it's the sanctity of being born. Um, you know, Genesis 1 is so unique. God creates man in his image, and then it says, in his image, male and female. And then the, from that point forward, with the exception of Jesus, every other human being is created by a male and female. And that is the fullness of the image of God as a mother and a father. That's what, how God is creating the world. So the image of God, male and female, means mother and father, father and mother. That's the only thing that can create another human being. And it's the thing that's most like God here on earth, a marriage. So it's the, uh, recognizing the, the life. And then, of course, number six, do not murder. That's the sanctity of life. If you have a society that doesn't recognize the sanctity of life, the place is going to crumble. If we can't even take serious how to treat people and take do not murder seriously. So, the sovereignty of God, the sanctity of createdness. And then we're going to get the next few commandments are the pillars of a stable society. And all of us, I think, can, we can look into our society here and say, family, Property rights, is the Bible is very concerned with property rights because that's how you maintain your liberty, is by having property rights. You're not allowed to move the boundary stones because you want a bigger field. You got to put them back. And if, someone, if you sell your land, you get it back in the seventh year because your property rights are important. Family, property rights, and justice. And these are pillars of a society that is free, that is just, that is good, if these get degraded, everything goes downhill. So you have the commandments. Do not commit adultery. That's an affront to the family. Do not steal. That's an affront to property rights. And number nine, do not give false testimony. And we talked about that last week, about the power of truth-telling, the often difficulty of truth-telling. There's no freedom in a society if there's no justice. There's no, no doubt about that. There's no freedom if there isn't justice. But there's no justice without a group of people who will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and are committed to telling that. Because you can have a nation of liars, and it, you don't get justice, even if you have a system that's supposed to create it, if everybody's lying in the system. So truth is a powerful force in creating a society. Okay, so here's our three thus far. Sovereignty of God, sanctification, sanctification, sanctity of createdness, and the pillars of a stable society. That's that's one through nine. Now you get to the all-encompassing. What's all-encompassing? What's the final command? Well, this one, number 10, it has to do with the populace. If you're going to have a free nation, a nation where liberty can reign, you have to have self-regulating individuals. They choose to be free. They choose to be responsible. They choose their responsibility becomes your right. 
My right is your responsibility. And we accept those conditions because we live then as free people. And the commandment is do not covet. Now, the word covet, I put this uh, right above the 10th commandment there. Covet is not just envy. Covet, uh, this is what is in the theological word book of the Old Testament, is the, where I got this from. The inordinate, ungoverned, selfish desire. I think the keys there, it's inordinate, it's ungoverned. If you let your desires run wild. Now, one thing that's interesting about the, this final commandment, number 10, it's the only one that's thinking, right? There's no action yet, but it's coveting. You're, you're planning to do something. It's the, I'm letting the desires uh, run wild, which will lead to theft, adultery, uh, lying, possibly even murder, if we're that upset about what somebody else has. Covet is deeper than just envy, although envy can turn into a covetous-type behavior. So, here's our structure. God becomes the sovereign, has to be in a stable uh, and just society. There's the sanctity of createdness. We, we celebrate created life, how important life is, and the individual within that. You have the pillars of society, justice and family and, um, or I'm sorry, yeah, family and property rights and justice, and then self-regulation. So that's one way you could, you could think about the Ten Commandments there. I like to think if we used our same uh, mountain meta metaphor, since Moses is climbing a mountain to receive this, we could say, look, let's draw the mountain. God's at the top, clearly. He's the pinnacle of our mountain. Then the sanctity of life. Then you have the pillars of family property rights and justice, but none of that, none of that structure matters if you don't have a self-regulating populace. You have to take those commands serious for yourself, then we keep our society straight, because ultimately the systems of justice, the systems above us, will begin to reflect the people below. And if the people below don't demand that the people in power, you know, keep their, their act together, things can run out of control. Okay, so that is where I think Rabbi Sachs is going with this whole, what's the wisdom of the Ten Commandments? When we go deeper into the structure of the Ten Commandments, what's it say? It gives us insight to a functioning and stable and just and good society where human beings can flourish. Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. That's our job. Be kingdom creators here on earth. How do we do it? Follow the Ten Commandments. Build a society that looks like that. So I think that's where we get that wisdom. It helps us understand. Rather than looking at two lists and thinking, well, do I have to obey those or not? It's not just two lists. It's either, well, if this is one way to look at it, you can go back to that, that how it's divided, three, 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 and one. Or you could put it into a mountain, a little more artistic, I suppose that says, hey, there's, this is the hierarchy of building a just society. So that, I think, hopefully, I think this gives tremendous insight into not just making the Old Testament into a bunch of lists,
But thinking when we can look at the structure, and most of us, it's really difficult in English to see the structure of what's going on underneath the, 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 in the Hebrew Bible. It's everywhere. But I think when we can see that structure, um, it brings out something, wisdom. It gives us the insight to, to understand how we're supposed to live and how we should uh, expect our society around us. If, ever, if we want everyone to flourish as we, as we ought to as Christians. So, okay, hopefully that helps take you a little bit deeper into the Ten Commandments. That is, that's our Exodus ver- through 20 uh, this spring. Hard to believe we got 20 of them in halfway through the year. We'll pick up Exodus again in a few months. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson on the wisdom of the Ten Commandments and that it helps you gain a deeper understanding of how important these commandments are and how we can integrate them into our lives. Fig Tree Ministries is a 501c3 educational nonprofit ministry. If our lessons have been valuable to you and have helped you with your study of the Bible, we ask that you support our work with a financial donation. Whether it's a one-time donation or you become a monthly supporter, we appreciate your generous gift. Donations are easy through our website, figtreeteaching.com, and you can become a regular supporter for as little as $5 a month. We've included a link to our donation page in the description section below. Online giving through our donation partner, DonorBox, is easy and secure. Establishing your DonorBox account will help you manage your donations, and it provides a convenient location to track your gifts throughout the year. And this will help you consolidate your donations when completing your annual tax return. We thank all of our donors for their generous gifts. And as you go out into the world today, may the words of number six be with you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his shalom.